The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. UB40 is the internationally renowned pop reggae band co-founded by guitarist and vocalist Robin Campbell, who scored an amazing more than 50 singles on the UK charts and two number one hits in the U.S., including this one, Red Red Wine in 1988, and then Can't Help Falling in Love in 1993. Their paths would cross with Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders, which led to many good things for the band, and now they are in the midst of their North American tour as I've got UB40s. Robin Campbell on the line right now. Hi, Jim. Robin, good morning to you, sir. First of all, congratulations on your new album, UB45. It sounds fantastic. Obviously, you've heard the, the first track of it, Champion. Yes, I, I've heard Champion, and not only that, but it's the official, was the official anthem of the Commonwealth Games, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that was a great buzz. Yeah, we wrote, we wrote the song, you know, with that in mind, um, and... Yeah, we heard that they chosen it as their official anthem, so we were stoked. Yeah, thousands of athletes competing, you know, from 70 countries in your Birmingham. It had to be, obviously the song is very inspiring, and I, I believe you played at the closing ceremony? Yeah, we did. We played at the closing ceremony. We actually didn't play champion, believe it or not. They, they wanted, um, because of the, the format for the closing ceremony, they wanted an older iconic tune so we ended up doing red red wine nice oh, that tune the tune champion was was played um at every venue and in between every event so you know it was very well represented at the games that's fantastic well w- when you were coming up musically in birmingham um there was a pretty healthy reggae uh, maybe a little post ska vibe there in fact i seem to remember steel pulse coming from the area in Birmingham in a bar that I was uh, I was uh, managing and yeah they, they were a great live band um, but of course Birmingham uh, has a very strong reggae following and always has done because it has a high West Indian population that came in the 50s we heard Jamaican music in the area we grew up in uh, we just heard Jamaican music on a daily basis you know so Everywhere we went, we were hearing Jamaican music, even before it was reggae, when it was ska, and even before that, when I was very young. But uh, yeah, when I was about, I think, about 13 years old, it became reggae in the late 60s, you know, and that was um, that was just the, ch- the change of everything for me. I only ever wanted to play reggae from that point on. It just, it took over, you know. I listened to all kinds of music. Uh, I still do, but... The only music I wanted to play as a musician, you know, and be in a band was uh, was reggae. And I believe you saw Bob Marley perform at the Birmingham Odeon. Uh, it, what was that in 1976? That's exactly right. Yeah, the summer of '76 was uh, the hottest the hottest year on record, and it was uh, a fantastic time. What was I? Twenty years old, I think, something like that. Yeah. Twenty-one. Um, and yeah. I, I saw Bob Marley play there, and that really was the catalyst for forming the band. Uh, I think most of the members of the band were actually at the concert, and 
as I I was the only one with the job. I think I bought most of the tickets. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we went to see Bob Marley and we came out all of us saying that that was what we wanted to do. You know, did you know all of your future bandmates uh, before you formed the band, or was this some uh, process? Oh yeah, we we were a gang of mates. We were a gang of friends who grew up in the same streets. You know, so. Yeah, I've known some of the members since they were six or seven years old, but all of them since they were 10 or 11 years old, you know? So, yeah, we genuinely grew up together. You were pretty successful early on. In fact, I believe your first tour was with the Pretenders, which had to be fantastic. Yeah, our first proper tour was uh, right at the beginning of the Pretenders' uh, massive career. They had a number one single and a number one album in the charts. Um and they had a sold-out British tour, which Chrissy invited us on. She came and saw us playing in a little uh, club in London, probably our first time in London. And we were playing this little club, and she came and saw us, and then came backstage and invited us on her tour. And as I say, it was a sold-out tour, so we suddenly got to play to thousands of people over a few weeks uh, that we would otherwise not have played in front of, you know. So we got massive exposure through Chrissy, through the Pretenders. Um and we released a single while we were on that tour. And at the end of the tour, the single was in the top five. So, you know, yeah, it was it was a massive thing for us. It, it was the springboard for, for our career. How long would it be before you would record songs with Chrissy like I Got You, Babe? That took a while. So I Got You, Babe, about 85, I think. So it was about five years. Yeah. Um, we, kept, we kept bumping into each other on tour, you know, and traveling around. Uh, we'd meet up in the States or in the UK or around Europe and we, she would always say, when are we going to record that song together? You know, because we always talked about it right from the beginning. Just never, never got the time together, you know, to do it. And then when we built our own studio, we sent Chris a backing track and said, you know, do you want to do this now? And of course she said, yeah. And lo and behold, it went number one in the UK. Uh, you were doing pretty well, but it actually took a while before Red Red Wine broke here in the United States. And how huge was that for you guys to kind of break through finally? Yeah, well, we'd, we'd been doing well in America for years. We'd had a, a, a kind of cult following. We had we played big venues. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, before Red Red Wine was, was a, a hit, a late hit in 88, We'd already played somewhere like uh, Red Rocks and sold it out, you know. So we had a we had a very strong following, but we didn't get radio play other than maybe college radio, you know. Um, so we, we hadn't had that breakthrough, and then all of a sudden, five years after it was a hit everywhere else, Red Red Wine became a hit in America um, because of one DJ in Arizona, I believe, chose it randomly played it and got a massive response. People were ringing in and phoning in and saying, you know, what is that track? And then he playlisted it and it snowballed. And then all of a sudden, our record label was calling us and saying, can we re-release Red Red Wine, you know, five years later? It was uh, it was very strange. And we said, yeah, of course, why not? But then we had the very weird experience of coming to America to tour as normal and having a number one single. It was five years old. Very strange. <laughs> right, but, uh, exactly. Yeah. You mentioned college radio. I was playing you guys at my college radio station, but they weren't playing you on mainstream radio. You are you are so right about that. Uh, yeah, we're very aware of it. 
know. Yeah. The story of I Can't Help Falling in Love is pretty interesting because it was a movie company that came to you to record it, right? Yeah, it was for a soundtrack for um, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, which the soundtrack to that movie were, were all Elvis songs. And we were asked to record that specific tune. We didn't choose it. They asked us if we would record a version of Can't Help Falling in Love. And yeah. that's what we did. And of course, being us, we delivered it too late for the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they they didn't use it. They'd already got a recording. Uh, they'd obviously asked several people to do different versions. And they had a recording of the same song by Bono from U2. So... Yeah, they used his tune in the film. I think they also released it as a single, but it didn't do as well, obviously. Um, and then we had the tune sitting on the shelf for a while. We were working on another album, and yeah, on Promises and Lies, we were working on that album at the time in the studio, and we got a phone call and said that there's another movie that wants to use it, and it was the Sharon Stone movie, Slipper. And uh, we, we said, yeah, sure. So... You know, it got used in another movie, and of course, we released it as a single. And again, it went number one everywhere. So, <laughs> it, you know, go figure. <laughs> um, Robin Campbell and UB40, you're on a, a pretty sizable tour right now of the States, and we're very excited to uh, see you here September 24th here in Las Vegas at Sunset Station and Casino. So great to talk to you. Uh, stay safe on the road and enjoy being out on tour again. I Thank you very much, man. Pleasure. Thank you. And did you know that the band's name, UB40, refers to the unemployment benefits form in their native UK? More useless trivia from me. That finishes this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Glad you could listen. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Here I am.